Welcome to the Three Martini Lunch. Grab a stool next to Greg Corumbus of Radio America and Jim Garrity of National Review. Three Martinis coming up. Hey, really glad you're with us for the Thursday edition of the Three Martini Lunch. We've got your stool ready right here, and we've got good, bad, and crazy martinis for you. Uh, I noticed that I can hear the cicadas in the background of where Jim is uh, joining us from today. And uh, we'll be talking a little bit more about cicadas tomorrow. But uh, the invasion is certainly underway, particularly in Fairfax County, where Jim is. It's not as bad as that where I live, but uh, they still are are noticeable. Uh, Jim, are you surviving or are they getting to you mentally? Greg, save yourself. <laughs> it's Starship Troopers over here. Um, the only thing I can say is thank yeah, The good news is cicadas, they don't bite. They don't sting. They pee on you. All this time I've been thinking it was tree sap on my car. Apparently I've got cicadas peeing on it at all hours of the day. Um, they bump into you. They're kind of an annoyance. I'm, you know, I don't mind it, but apparently like if there's an epicenter to brood X, it is right here in authenticity woods. And, um, uh, can't wait for you. I can't wait for, I think, July is when they're supposed to die off. Guys, just get breeding and dying. <laughs> Pretty simple. Pretty simple. Get to it, cicadas. Uh, anyway, let's talk about our good martini, which, of course, is couched in bad news. We've been running major deficits in this country for a very long time, pretty much this entire century uh, to this point, uh, the late 90s. We're a bit of a respite from that, but... Um, Since then, lots of ugly spending. And of course, lately, with all the COVID relief bills, uh, we have added a ton of debt. Uh, Ron Johnson, Republican senator from Wisconsin, along with, I believe, Rick Scott of Florida, uh, calling this out, not only just to point out where we are, but pointing out that we desperately don't need $4 trillion more in these two big bills that uh, Joe Biden wants to pass, the infrastructure and then the uh, the families one. And so uh, he's talking about where we are with the red ink and what's at risk here. Pretty smart analysis. Let's face it, over the last 18 months, we've had about $7 trillion in deficit spending. Now, President Biden is predicting or proposing another $7 trillion. With $28 trillion in debt by the end of this fiscal year, will be about $30 trillion in debt. And that's on top of a roughly $21, $22 trillion economy. Uh, We're we're at dangerous levels. Uh, Rick talked a little bit about some of these macro inflation numbers. Uh, Personal savings is up $2.5 trillion year over year. It was $1.6 trillion, now it's $4.1. We have so much pent-up demand. Our, Our economy is already taking off from the COVID recession. But the problem we have is we can't supply all the goods, all the services that the American population wants. That that sets the conditions for runaway inflation. So he's making the point, Jim, that, uh, look, people have got the money. They don't, you don't need to inject that much more into the economy. But when you inject all of this deficit spending, you're going to get uh, inflation. And that's where the uh, metrics already seem to be heading. Of course, Jim, if we're being honest here, we should point out that when Republicans had control of everything from 2017 to 2019, all pre-pandemic, and even back in some of the George W. Bush years when Republicans controlled Congress as well, they had the chance to tighten the belt on spending. They didn't do it uh, either time. And uh, their argument, while solid, is probably going to ring hollow because they didn't actually act that way when they had the chance. I've been thinking about this, Greg, and on paper, it makes sense. You could say, oh, you know, Republicans are going to complain about the deficit. They're going to complain about the debt. 
but nobody's going to pay attention because Republicans didn't do anything about it when they had unified government from 2017 to 20, uh, you know, the, the end of 2018. And the whole Trump era, Republicans weren't very serious about spending. They lost all their interest in it. They ran trillion dollar year deficits and everyone's going to, you know, see them as hypocrites. And look, they will get called out for hypocrisy. But I'm not sure that this automatically means that all public concern about the debt will disappear and that it will never return. And for perspective, I'd point out from 2001 to 2006, when uh, the Democrats won back control of the House and Senate, George W. Bush and the Republicans who controlled Congress at that time did not do a fantastic job of controlling the deficit and the debt. It looks very small by the standards of today, but in terms of controlling domestic spending, I think yeah, I say this as a uh, pretty darn big fan of, of George W. Bush. This was not what he was good at, not a sterling record that didn't stop the issues of the deficit and the debt and runaway spending become a big, becoming a big animating cause for the Tea Party movement in 2009 and 2010. Now you can say, ah, oh, Jim was a different group of Republicans, and that's true, but there's going to be some other new Republicans running in uh, 2022, both for Senate races and for uh, House races. And I just kind of have this feeling that we'll, we'll see how things shake out on inflation. Um, but the argument of Republicans, and whether it's coming from Ron Johnson or somebody who's a, a relative newcomer to the scene, is going to be like, look, we all agree that during the COVID-19 pandemic, when lots of businesses had to shut down, the government had to spend lots and lots of money. There was really very few people who were going to say, now is the time to worry about the deficit. Now is the time. We, we understood this was a crisis. This was an emergency. But as 2021 advances, the emergency is ending. In fact, I think most people would say that from the sense of their daily lives, the emergency has ended. The crisis has ended. And if we were all on board with a sudden big jump in spending in 2020, doesn't it make sense to wind it down in 2021 and into 2022? You know, if, you, if that becomes your new baseline, then you're always going to forever go up. And most Republicans could say, OK, we all agreed we should spend money in an emergency the emergency's over. It's time to stop spending money the same way. And you could say, ah, you know, this is not going to catch on. Well, I guess it all depends on how inflation goes. I guess it all depends on how uh, the, the sense of employment is. Democrats are going to be have to run on the state of the economy. We don't know what the state of the economy is going to be in 2022. If the sense is the, if the economy is sluggish, if this, the recovery is sluggish, if the sense is that people are still not jumping back into the job market and inflation has been eating up all the stimulus funds people have been getting and all that stuff, I do kind of wonder if people will say, hey, you know what? We got into this mess because we're spending too much money. Democrats made these decisions. It's time to elect Republicans to enact some fiscal uh, responsibility there. I'm not saying it's guaranteed to shake out that way, but I think you can see the formation of the forces that would bring back excessive spending as a uh, as a force in life. And the next thing is, if people feel like all of the COVID relief funding, uh, you know, if people feel like there's been a lot of waste in it, a lot of mismanagement in it and all that stuff, it'll be less popular and it'll be the sort of thing that'll show up in attack ads in 2022. Well, one would hope. One would definitely hope. We've got uh, stories out today that Joe Biden wants to jack up uh, the budget spending 20 percent uh, over the last budget. Uh, we also have The New York Times referring to a $928 billion infrastructure offer from Senate Republicans as narrow and a fraction of what the Biden administration wants. So a trillion dollars, Jim, uh, is, is now a drop in the bucket and not far enough. So that's uh, that's how far that narrative has moved. Amazing. The, the saying used to be a billion with a B here, right. a billion with a B there. And sooner or later, you're talking about real money. Apparently, a billion is not real money anymore. No. Now you need the trillion. 
It's uh, unbelievable. But of course, I mean, it's always going to be couched against what the Democrats want to do. Uh, and the Democrats will always be able to outspend you, no matter how much you think you can uh, spend to to mollify the press and uh, other critics on the left. And I'm not sure why you'd want to mollify them. Uh, the left will always find ways to spend more than you. It's an impossible uh, effort and not one that should be undertaken in the first place. So if a trillion dollar numbers being uh, treated as way too small has your head spinning uh, and other things are stressing you out, Headspace is a great way to go. Uh, wouldn't it be great if there were a pocket-sized guide that helped you sleep and focus and just uh, act the way you want to act? Well, there is. And if you have 10 minutes, Headspace can make a big difference. Headspace is one of the only meditation apps that is advancing the field of mindfulness and meditation through clinically validated research. So whatever your situation, Headspace really can help you feel better. Are you feeling overwhelmed? Well, Headspace has a three-minute SOS meditation for you. Do you need some help falling asleep? Headspace has wind-down sessions that their members swear by. And for parents, Headspace even has morning meditations that you can do with your kids. Headspace's approach to mindfulness can reduce stress, improve sleep, boost focus, and increase your overall sense of well-being. As I've said many times, our chief of operations has talked about the hosts here at Radio America who have used Headspace, particularly during last year. They they got better sleep. They felt more focused and uh, felt like they could do their job a whole lot better. And as we mentioned at the top, uh, it only takes about 10 minutes. So uh, Headspace is backed by 25 published studies on its benefits, 600,000 five-star reviews, and more than 60 million downloads. So feel happier. Headspace is meditation made simple. Go to headspace.com slash martini. That's headspace.com slash martini for a free one-month trial with access to Headspace's full library of meditations for every situation. This really is the best deal they've got going right now, so don't miss out. Head to headspace.com martini today. Speaking of not missing out, Jim, uh, when a president uh, is coming into office and saying he's not going to deport anybody for 100 days, turns out people believe that, and they start headed to the border. And uh, the narrative, of course, is that uh, you're heartless to not want them to come because they're all coming from hopelessly desperate situations in Latin America with gang violence and cartels and rampant poverty and constantly hit by hurricanes and so forth. Turns out that that narrative has a big problem. It's not true. I mean, a lot of them are coming from there, but a huge chunk are not. This is from Axios. The number of people attempting to cross the U.S.-Mexico border from countries beyond Mexico and Central America's Northern Triangle, including residents of Haiti, Cuba, Romania, and India, has spiked during recent months. On top of natural disaster and economic crises in home countries, the growing backlog of asylum cases in the U.S., which often allows migrants to live and work in the country as their case plays out in court, is being conveyed to friends and relatives and prompts them to catch flights to Central America to make the journey. Uh, very helpful uh, guide from U.S. Customs and Border Protection. For the most part, uh, people who aren't coming from Mexico, Guatemala, Honduras, and El Salvador, uh, back during 2018, 2019, all below 5,000 a month, except for uh, the summer of, of 2019. It got a little bit above 10,000. Uh, earlier this year, uh, just before Trump left office, it was below 10,000 a month from these other countries. Jim, April, 33,150. Uh, more than a three-fold jump. And uh, as we see the overall numbers jump, this is clearly a big part of it. I mean, we're seeing, what was it, about 180,000 overall last month. This is uh, about a sixth of that at least. 
Yeah, actually, I was going to say this is a bad martini, but it actually, I, I'm glad we're getting this information. Uh, we know illegal immigrants come from places beyond Mexico and Central America. Uh, I believe, at least as of a few years ago, half the people who are in the country illegally did not, you know, sneak over the border. They came on legal visas that were temporary, tourist visas or temporary work visas or something like that. And they simply didn't go home. And so, you know, that, that's an illegal immigrant the same way as somebody who sneaks across the border. It seems like the sort of thing we should be paying attention to. But this is kind of interesting to see that, you know, okay, it's not just this part of the world. It's you're seeing it from a, a much broader uh, spectrum uh, of countries. And I think the lesson here for the Biden administration that's been pretty clear for a while that they just really don't want to learn it um, is that nuance gets lost when you are talking to audiences beyond the United States who are interested in coming to the United States. If you give them any hint that maybe they can come into the country and stay and not get arrested and not get deported if they sneak across the border, they're going to interpret it that way. And so Biden can say, well, yes, I said in this speech and I said in that speech and Secretary Mayorkas has said this, look, you got to say it loud and clear and in metaphorical, giant flashing neon signs. You need to be doing public service announcements on the local tele on the television of these countries. You need to be saying this emphatically. You need to be saying this loudly. You need to be saying this frequently. Otherwise, people are going to say, as I think it was one woman quoted in The New York Times said, Biden, you promised us. Right. Biden may not have wanted to say, hey, whole world, come on across our borders. We have full amnesty. We're no longer in the business of immigration enforcement. But when he emphasized how different he was going to be from Trump and that he was going to do the opposite from Trump and he was going to halt deportations for 100 days, that was struck down by a judge, by the way. But when you're going on saying these things, people believe you and people interpret it as, ah, we can come into the country again. I'm willing to give Biden the benefit of the doubt here. There are a whole bunch of conservatives who say, no, no, Jim, this is always what he wanted. He wants illegal immigration. He wants to provide amnesty. He wants the border patrol over, overwhelmed. And he wants all these people because Democrats see these as Democratic voters in waiting. And all they got to do is institute an, an amnesty and say, poof, they're going to vote for us. By the way, dirty little secret. No, they're not. <laughs> because in a bunch of these cases, they're fleeing socialism. I saw an interview with a uh, migrant who was trying to, he was on not, not yet in the United States, he was coming here, but they said, how do you feel about Americans who believe they should become a socialist country? And this migrant said, they shouldn't be there. They should leave America. Greg, is there any way to trade for this guy? <laughs> Can we deport some of our Americans who were born here in order to get this guy in? He seems pretty cool. Maybe we should have an amnesty, but only for the ones who are anti-socialism. <laughs> Well, absolutely. And maybe that's uh, why you are seeing a lot of folks coming in from Cuba, because that situation's not getting any better. Well, let's talk about something that's far more comfortable than uh, our failed border policy right now, and that is my pillow and the pillows themselves. Been talking about it all week. Very comfortable. Uh, I love it for my head, my neck, my shoulders. Uh, helps for a good night's sleep. And Right now, you can refresh the pillows of every room in your house because the premium my pillow is at its lowest price ever. Their current offer is for a limited time, you can get a queen-size premium MyPillow for only $29.98. And a king pillow is just $5 more. And these premium pillows will never go flat, and they will give you the best night's sleep every night. 
They're made right here in the United States. They have a 60-day money-back guarantee and a one-year limited warranty. So go to MyPillow.com, click on the radio listener square, enter the promo code MARTINI, or call 800-874-0104. Now, while you're there, don't forget to take advantage of the deep discounts on all MyPillow products, including the Giza Dream bed sheets and the new My Slippers. Get your premium MyPillow today for only $29.98, only with our promo code MARTINI. Call 800-874-0104 or visit MyPillow.com today. All right, Jim, let's move on to our crazy martini now. And we love Senator Kennedy. That's something Republicans and conservatives couldn't say for decades. But we can say it now thanks to (laughs) Louisiana Senator John Kennedy. Uh, Not only does he vote the right way, uh, we love his uh, homespun approach to uh, various issues. And just the other day, I think this was yesterday, in fact, uh, he was speaking to Dr. Fauci, Dr. Collins, the head of NIH, and uh, another doctor who I didn't identify in this story. But uh, the issue was uh, COVID origins. And of course, that's a big issue now. The, uh, the lab leak theory is suddenly being respected in mainstream circles and in the Biden administration. And so uh, Senator Kennedy decided to bring up a particularly curious decision with Fauci and Collins. And I think he got an even more curious response. Why did y'all spike the prior administration's uh, investigation into the origins of the coronavirus and whether it could have uh, come out of the Wuhan lab? Sir, I, I, we did not spike anything in the prior administration. I'm not sure what you mean by spike, but we have no influence. The State Department spiked the, the, the prior administration's right. uh, study. But that has nothing to do with the National Institutes of so Health. So they didn't consult with y'all? They did not. Did they consult with you, Dr. Collins? I read about it in the press this morning. Doc? No. They just spiked it without talking to their experts? You don't want to answer that one, do you? <sighs> Jim, he distills it well, and uh, Fauci and Collins uh, said pretty much all they could say there is that this was made without their uh, input, and it appears that it was pretty much a political decision, and now the Biden administration appears to be backtracking. Yeah, and so, well, actually, they're backtracking in the sense that Biden announced yesterday he wants the intelligence community to give him a fuller review and redouble their efforts to get a clearer answer within the next 90 days, and I certainly hope that succeeds. In theory, you could say, oh, you know, what's going on at the State Department, it's duplicative of what's going on at the intelligence community and other parts of the government, so we don't need them to do that. But I I actually don't think that argument or excuse holds water. I have a big piece on laying out all the evidence uh, about the lab leak theory on the homepage of National Review today. It's circumstantial evidence, but it's a lot of circumstantial evidence. It just keeps piling up higher and higher to your point where you just reach that point of Occam's razor, where you're like, the scenario of this coming from some other way, from from a cave, from a bat in a cave in the southern corner of the country, figuring out how to get you know 1,100 miles to this city, just doesn't seem all that plausible compared to the possibility of somebody in any, either one of these, not one but two facilities that are researching novel coronaviruses and bats having an accident and being not care- not being careful one day and, and setting this all off. I'll just make an observation. You know, there is, as far as I know, there is not a single member of the U.S. military who's ever been inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology. I have no idea whether anyone in the U.S. intelligence community has ever been inside the Wuhan Institute of Virology. However, 
we do know that two diplomats did go into the Wuhan Institute of Virology. They wrote the famous memos from the State Department. It's Jameson Faust, who was the U.S. Consul General in Wuhan, and Rick Schweitzer, or Switzer, who is the Embassy's Counselor of Environment, Science, Technology, and Health. They visited it in January 2018, and they're the ones who wrote the memo saying, well, you know, it becomes very clear they have a serious shortage of appropriately trained technicians and investigators needed to safely operate this high containment laboratory. Now, in that sense, I'd be like, okay, well, maybe the State Department is going to know some things that the other parts of the government don't. There are certain people in this world who are more comfortable talking to diplomats than they might be talking to intelligence agents, military officials, uh, law enforcement officers, folks like that. And the other thing I would note, uh, people might think, oh, look, they're a bunch of diplomats, the old striped suit set, as they used to call it. What on earth would they have to, what, what would they have useful that's contributed? Guess what? The U.S. State Department has its own intelligence agency. It's called the Bureau of Intelligence and Research, and it employs about 300 people. It is the oldest civilian element of the U.S. Intelligence Committee, and in many circles, it's considered very highly regarded. So maybe they would be able to find something or know something that the other parts of the government did. Now, look, I don't know if the State Department's effort on Pompeo was, uh, you know, uh, slipshod or jumping to conclusions or, or you know, they, maybe, they, you know I, maybe there's a reason to say, eh, I'm not really all that impressed with this. But to shut it down and not ask, hey, Fauci, what do you think? Or Dr. Collins, what do you think? That seems a little bit of this reflexive, we're just going to shut down everything the previous administration did. They had to be wrong about anything. We know better. We're Democrats. We believe in smart power and all this stuff. And now look, here we are, it's May, more information has come to light. You know, the, the information that three Wuhan Institute of Virology uh, staffers were hospitalized in uh, late November, in November of 2019, right before the pandemic took off. Now, we don't know if they were hospitalized with something that's like COVID-19 or whether it's what they said, seasonal illnesses. Now, as I discussed yesterday or earlier this week, Greg, seasonal illnesses do not usually put healthy adults into the hospital. It's a really unusual to see three people all at once who work at a virology lab catching the flu unrelated to their work and all ending up in the hospital. So after a while, these coincidences keep piling up and you start saying, OK, I don't believe it's coincidences anymore. I think something happened in that lab. I think somebody ended up getting sick and I think it got out of that lab and set off the global pandemic we've seen so far. So first of all, if you, if you haven't read it already, take a look at what I laid out. Um, I, you know, again, I you know I, I point out that like this is not you know no no one has a aha you know confession or whistleblower or anything like that. It's all based on uh, scientific journals published by uh, virologists at the Wuhan Institute of Virology before the pandemic started, talking about what they found in bats that were from this copper mine way back in the southern corner of the country. It's really tough to imagine how that virus gets from there to the city of Wuhan, not involving one of those two labs. Could it be animal smugglers? Yeah, I guess, but we haven't found any. And there's extensive uh, uh, tracing of all the, or not all, but, you know, as many animals as they could find at the Huanan Seafood Market. And I think it's safe to say the Huanan Seafood Market is largely not believed to be the source of the virus, you know, the, the origin point for the virus. So if it wasn't from there, where did it come from? I think it's more likely than not, it's one of the two labs. I'm open to arguments and evidence against it. I admit that there's no smoking gun yet, but it's looking more and more in this direction. And thus it doesn't seem to make much sense to shut down the State Department investigation and say, oh, don't worry, these other organizations have got it. What, what's the harm? What, what, what are you worried about? That they're gonna find, that they're gonna duplicate somebody else's work? 
look, Greg, I found the one area in the federal government I'm completely okay with duplicative bureaucracy. <laughs> I know it's going to hurt some feelings on the uh, Republican side of the Senate and Capitol Hill, but could more Republican senators just yield their questioning time to Senator Kennedy because he actually asks questions and gets <laughs> answers? He asks compelling questions. I mean, most of the time in hearings, uh, if you even get to a question to a witness, if especially if it's on a partisan issue, uh, you're lucky. And uh, my favorite is when uh, a lawmaker will ask a question and then not even let the person answer. They'll say, isn't it true that uh, that you were corrupt in this situation? Because as I see it, you are corrupt. And here's why. And then they never let them finish. So just let that relaxed, homespun, y'all weren't consulted. I mean, that's great information. You got all that out of there in about 30 seconds. You know, it's kind of amazing, uh, besides the fact that, you know, John Kennedy is just this naturally gifted communicator. Just recently, I think it was on Monday, he released a video on behalf of the National Rifle Association, <laughs> which he's seen polishing his revolver. And he looks looking at the camera and he says, I believe that love is the answer, but you ought to own a handgun just in case. I, you know, I, can, you, can, you, can you summarize the conservative worldview any better than that one sentence, Greg? <laughs> no, it's perfect. He's a man of, uh, of brevity. He gets to the point. I love it. We need more of that. So uh, uh, he's up for re-election next year. I don't think he's going to have any trouble. But uh, always enjoy him. Jim, always enjoy uh, our time together. Good luck uh, mentally enduring the cicadas. I'll talk to you tomorrow. Ah, see you tomorrow, Greg. Jim Garrity, National Review. I'm Greg Columbus, Radio America. Thanks for being with us today. Please subscribe to the Three Martini Lunch podcast. We're always grateful for those five-star ratings and your kind reviews. Thanks again for your patience as some of the issues over at Apple gets worked out. Uh, get us on those home devices. All you have to say is play Three Martini Lunch podcast. Follow us on Twitter. He's at Jim Garrity. I'm at Dateline underscore DC. Have a great Thursday, and please join us on Friday for the next Three Martini Lunch. There's never a shortage of stuff going on in the news, and we're here to help break it down for you all. Questions are still being raised regarding police reform as the anniversary of George Floyd passes. New reports on the origin of COVID-19, and how is there a possibility of more stimulus checks? It's time for everyone to get back to work. Hey, it's the Chicks from the Chicks on the Right podcast. Download and subscribe to our daily podcast to hear us pick apart and pick on the news of the day. Politics to pop culture, nobody's safe, but it's all fun. Subscribe on iTunes or wherever you get your your podcasts.